Well, good morning. We're back in our landmine series, which we departed from last week because it was, it was Mother's Day. Um, but before we kind of start today, I know we, we, uh, we've stopped doing our greeting a lot, and I'm not going to make you do it again because I know all of you, a lot of you really you know, don't like to be friendly and are real introverted and came to church. But just look at somebody next to you and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, and if it's your spouse, you need to mean it. Okay. <laughs> Tiffany, AJ, are you guys fighting because you didn't say it to each other? I just want to make sure. Okay, no, that's good, that's good. Uh, in, this, in this series, we're, we're just trying to talk about some truths that are present in our world, but that sometimes we sort of, sh- sort of shy away from or steer away from, maybe because they're difficult or, or maybe because even when you're in the pastor role or the pastor position, we always try to push people just far enough without sort of pushing them out of the car, so to speak. Um, and as you guys know me well enough, I do not mind opening the door and kicking you out at 60 miles an hour. So if that's what today is, you know, so be it. You know, when, when we were doing our seminary training, one of the things that they tell you when you are preparing sermons or when you are learning to preach to a church, they say you have to be careful with your illustrations. And for men especially, they say you've got to be careful talking about sports. Okay, you've got you to be careful saying, you know, it's like the quarterback throwing the ball all the way, to, you know, or, or talking about baseball or something else. Because what they say is, it's not that, uh, my, my wife loves sports, but not all women do, not all men do either. But the reality is, is you never want to try to isolate your, your audience by only speaking about one side. And there's so many sports illustrations out there that it feels like, especially if you've been watching sports the day before, it feels like a continuation of that. And they kind of say, you know, be careful of that. Be careful how you engage that. That's why in sermons you should include uh, what we call feminine topics like cooking and yoga and sewing, uh, all of which I do too. So it's, it's easy for us to talk about these things as well. But the goal is that what we have to try to do is we have to try to be inclusive. Include people from all different walks of life, all different experiences, because not everybody in our churches has one experience. One of the ways that I am very convinced that this needs to happen, especially among pastors, and I'm going to tell you it's one of my pet peeves. My staff know this is one of my pet peeves. If we go to a conference or we listen to something, and people are reading the Bible, a non-inclusive Bible. And what I mean is a Bible that does not include both genders. If you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is actually a, a picture of my Bible. I love the newer New International Version because it, it is inclusive. It used to just say brothers in the past. But now it is inclusive of saying brothers and sisters because the church is made up not just of one gender. Now, I know that some of us are very used to that, and and that's why you probably won't hear me use words like mankind. You'll always hear me say humankind. You won't hear me say man. You'll hear me say people. And I don't do it perfectly, but I try very hard to be inclusive. You see, one of the landmines that we walk around in every single day is the landmine of inequality and division and disagreement. Everything in our world seems to be skewed and conditioned towards these things. We're never going to get along. Things are never going to be equal. There's always going to be, you know, separation between different kinds of people for different kinds of reasons. And one of the great truths of Scripture and inclusion is that there is equality and restoration and redemption. 
It's, it's that our lives are this path of trying to get back to the balance that God created that we ruined. That's why we include in places like the Bible, in, in our roles. We're one of the churches, I know that there's other churches in town have big announcements. We have been a church that for seven years has fully ordained woman pastors. At some churches you go to, the children's, they're not called the children's pastor, they're called the children's director, or the student's director, or something like that, or some, some kind of leader role. And, and I believe very strongly in the equality of people. I, I realize that men and women are different, but I also realize that all of us are under one God. And my authority is not you, and your authority is not me. Both of our authority is Jesus Christ. And if we stand on that, it's going to go a lot better. That's why in church or in homes, listen, uh, when, when my mom raised us, you know, mom stayed home, dad went to work, and a lot of us grew up in these traditional molds. Uh, but most of us in this world today don't live into that. We, we are helpers. We're, we're partners. We're, we're learning to do things. Men know how to change diapers now. I mean, some of you don't. I've seen your kids, but most of you know how to change a diaper, okay? And in our homes, there is this there needs to be this equality. This, the, the, the days of these egalitarian, utilitarian, you know, it's all my way or the highway, there's a softening that's taking place. And the reason why that's happening is not because it's hip and because it's cool, but simply because the Bible says so. In Galatians 3, we read this text last, last time. It says, so in Christ we are all children of God through faith. For all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves, literally put Christ onto ourselves, and because of that, the boundaries fade away. There's no longer Jew and Greek or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer men or women, black or white, young or old, conservative or liberal. In Christ, things are brought to this beautiful oneness that cannot be achieved outside of Him. And the kingdom of God is about bringing that world to light. That's why we are inclu inclusive. Not because it's cool or because it's hip. We do it because it is the calling of the kingdom. It is a way for us to say, we believe that one day there will be no barriers or boundaries between people. Our world puts those on us, and we believe part of our job as the church is to try to take those off. You see, the landmine that the world tells us is there will never be equality. There will always be differences. And even Jesus says this is true. There's always going to be differences between people. But Jesus also says the truth is that he changes lives and he is the one who changes roles. He puts people in a beautiful, balanced relationship with God. And when you're in a balanced relationship with God, guess what? You start having a balanced relationship with others. You see, some of the buzzwords that maybe I've used and you've heard me use for a time, is we have to decide between the kingdom and the empire. Are we people of the kingdom or are we people of the empire? And I think you know what that means. Kingdom, I'm referring to this world that we are a part of right now in this moment as the church. And the empire is pretty much everything outside of this. You see, empires exclude people. Empires, uh, kingdoms include people. Empires say, we're different, the, the paths are too far apart, you can never be together, and the kingdom says, that's not true, that's a lie. Jesus changes things. Now, 
as I talked about sports and, and being a bit more gender neutral with our roles, there are some things that they told us you should never talk about. Okay? There are some topics, and I think you've learned this, very few things that I won't talk about. So today we're going to have a little test. You didn't know you were coming to church to have a test. Do we really believe in transparency and truth? <laughs> do we? we? We say we do. We say, we just want to be, you know, people will sit in my office and I will counsel them. And, and I'll, they'll say, just tell us the truth. And I'll say, do you really want the truth or do you want me to tell you what you'd like me to say? No, no, no. We want the truth. And I, I give a preemptive and I say, if I tell you the truth, you're not going to like me very much. They probably didn't like me when they came in, so it's not a big deal. But I tell them, I say, I will tell you the truth. And guess what? Nine out of ten, I tell them the truth. And people, people generally don't go, well, that's just what we needed to hear. That. Thank you so much for telling us the truth. They're like, well, that can't be right. That can't be. I'm telling you the truth. I had one of my leadership send me, and I should have put the meme up here. Uh, leadership sent me a, a meme <laughs> the other day and said, your motto should be, if you want the truth, ask me and I'll tell you. If you want something sugar-coated, go to Donut Stop and get a donut. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Transparency. The thing you should never talk about in church is politics. Because even just saying that will silence a room. I'm hoping today that I can borrow some of the trust that you have given to me over the years as we talk about this. We're going to talk about this for two weeks. And next week, we're going to talk about some very specific issues. Today, I want to lay some of the groundwork for how we're going to talk about this. The truth is this. The church has to be neutral. Because the church is a nonprofit organization, and if we talk about politics or we take a side, we can lose our nonprofit status. I don't know if you know that. Churches, by definition, have to be politically neutral. And this comes back from the old laws of the separation of church and state, which I believe in. I don't believe that the state should tell us what we are allowed to do as a church. There should be separation between these two worlds. But a landmine in our world is politics. If you don't believe me, just go look on Facebook. Just watch the news. One of the things that we don't seem to understand yet is that politics is built on reactions. Do you know that? Politics is, not, is built on reactions. I'll give you an example. Here are some presidents that have served in most of our lifetimes. As you look at the faces, you have already decided which ones you like and which ones you don't. You know already. People say to me, well, do you what do you think about politicians? I say, listen, I fully understand that I believe there are bad politicians and that I believe there are worse politicians. <laughs> and I, I, I'm genuine in that. I think politics is an unmitigated bad in our world. And we have decided which ones we hate and which ones we don't like. If I'd put a picture of a mask up here, we would have had the same reactions. I was having a conversation even this morning about masks and how this little piece of fabric divided people so much. We had people call the church and say, we will not be back at church until you require masks. And I said, then you're probably going to wait a while because we're not going to do that. And some people said, we're not going to be at church until we don't have to wear masks. Okay. What we did, what I did was this is I said, we're going to request that people wear them. 
Because request is the language of kingdom. And request is the language of relationships. Require is the language of rules. And the church should be a place where people say, I hate wearing this thing, you hate wearing this thing, but I wear it because I love you. It has nothing to do with this. This is not a place that I'm going to die on the hill of what I think my rights are. You see, here's a truth that maybe we forget sometimes, is that politics uses rhetoric, not truth. Rhetoric is another fancy word for saying a good argument or persuasive argument. How many people over the years made promises that they didn't keep? And I know you're going to think it's all from the other side that's opposite to mine. It's not true. Every side has not lived into promises exactly as they said. And the person with the best argument wins. In fact, if you watch presidential debates or you watch the aftermath, it has nothing to do with the topics. It has everything to do with this person had the best response. This person made the best argument. And there's a difference between being persuasive and speaking truth into people's lives. But let's talk a little bit about Jesus and politics. Because Jesus is a political figure. He doesn't try to be. He doesn't want to be. But he becomes a political figure because Rome is the superpower of the day. And so that's what he has to use. In fact, that's the tool that God is going to use to bring about the salvation of his people. Jesus uses the political arena. That's why even the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this day, who are all subject to Rome, they're all just, they have the inclusion of church and state. They're not separating anything. They come to Jesus and try to trick him. And this is where Luke 20, verse 22 to 25, we have this narrative. And they come to him and they say, is it right for us to pay our taxes to Caesar? Should we pay taxes? Because they want him to say, no, no, no. If you're a good, a good uh, God follower, you don't care about the state. And they want to trap him from a Roman perspective. If he says, yes, you do, then they're going to say, so your God is not big enough or not bigger than the Romans. So where, where do you lie? They're trying to trap him with this question. And it says Jesus understands and sees their duplicity. How they're trying to play both sides against the middle. And he asks somebody for a coin and he says, whose inscription is on it? And they say, it's Caesar's. And he says, then why don't you give this to Caesar? And then why don't you give to God what is God's? Maybe a nice way of saying this is what, what goes to Caesar are the material things. What goes to God are the immaterial things. And if we know the difference between those two things and balance those two things in our lives, that's good. I know you wanted to hear a sermon on don't pay your taxes and we'll give you a note. You know, and the IRS will say it's okay. But Jesus says, whatever's in front of you, you need to, you need to do. Jesus is a political figure, not on purpose. But he used what he had to. Look at this uh, next picture. I saw this. You can't see it from the back. It's got all 50 states around this red and blue Jesus, which I think is exactly what we try to do. In a world of donkeys and elephants, we're trying to have the Lamb of God in there somehow as well. And we sort of think, well, we can follow two out of three. This is not the Holy Trinity. Sometimes we think it is. When Paul writes to the, to the church, he speaks words in Romans 13. speaks powerful words. Words that are uncomfortable. 
but they're words that we should follow. Romans 13, verse 1, if we believe this is God's word for us, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. That's a hard one for us to read. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. What do you hear with those, those words? They say God is in charge of this, even though you're told you are. God is at work, even though we, we don't think He is because our side didn't win. When he writes later to Timothy, who is a, a young man in ministry, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says this, I urge you then, this is to Timothy and Timothy to his church, I, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and presidents and all of those in authority, that we may have peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I remember several years ago, a friend of mine in ministry told me a story. He and his dad did not really see eye to eye politically. They voted for different sides. And as they were driving down the road, a couple of days after the election was over, his dad leaned over to him, and his dad is a godly man, and said, oh, the next four years are going to be tough. And he said, his son looked at him and said, why? He said, because I have to pray for a man that I didn't elect, but that's what God calls me to do. He had the right heart. He said, the kingdom of God is above the empire of people. And I'm going to have my say and I'm going to have my moment. But when all is said and done, I do not follow political leaders. I pray for them. And I'm going to do that. This is why when Peter, and this is my last text today, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we've heard these words many, many times that you could probably repeat them back to me. This is where Peter writes to this church and says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Since you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that war against the soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. That they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to the governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom to cover up evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love 
the family of believers. Fear God and honor the king. Honor the emperor. You see, one of the mistakes and one of the landmines that we have in our world is that we blend faith and allegiance and we think that these are the same things. That if, you, if you're a good citizen, then somehow you're a good Christian. And those two things, I can promise you, don't always go together because sometimes they are in conflict. And we have to learn to be okay with the conflict. Need I remind you that one of the dangerous landmines we live in is that anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Anything. Facebook's a great tool. It can become an idol. Money is a great tool. It can become an idol. Our families, our excuses, our jobs, our lives, anything that takes place, that takes the position of God, becomes an idol. The Bible tells us that clearly. And the enemy is so cunning and so seductive and so persuasive with his rhetoric that sometimes we don't notice. And so we end up with flags that are covered with crosses. Now, this, please understand me. I am not against either one of these things. I love both of these things very much. I just happen to love one more than the other. And one of the landmines that we fall headlong into is that we think patriotism is the same as being people of faith. You should love your country. You should serve your country. You should serve everybody in it. But we always need to remember God's place in the midst of it. I saw this meme this week, which, or this saying that I thought was good. Jesus isn't as conservative or liberal as you think. The disciples thought they had it down. They thought that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government and set himself up as emperor. And he didn't do that, even though that's what they thought he was going to do. Jesus used the arena that was there, but that was not his goal. And so I bring us back to this question, the premise that we're starting with. Do we believe in kingdom or do we believe in empire? And sometimes what we try to do is we try to stand in the middle and have both. And it's impossible to do because one will always win. It's the same as what Jesus says in the sermon when, when he talks about you can't love God and money. You've got to choose at some point. That's why in his first sermon, Jesus says it so clearly and so wonderfully, right? In Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the empire, right? Put politics first. That'll save you. Make sure to just choose the best candidate. That'll be the way God, God does his work. Is that what it says? No. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And all these other things, they'll work themselves out. Doesn't mean you don't have to have any say. Doesn't mean you don't have to vote. Doesn't mean you just ignore it. But you've got to make sure that those things find their place under the kingdom of God. And if we don't do that, we will be lost because that's what the empire does. How many of the great empires of thousands of years ago are still there? Egypt, how's that one doing? Rome, superpower, right? It'll be the same with us eventually. Give it enough, give it enough time. People will say the same things about every nation and every power. The truth is we have to guard against the empire. We do. 
Doesn't mean we live there, we can't not live in the empire. I'm not saying we go and buy a thousand acres and go and live off by ourselves and just ignore everything. But we have to be on guard. You've got to protect your hearts. When you see images, don't allow it to re- react to you exactly the way it is. There are some things that you need to react to that, that will be reacted to, and I get that. But go slow. Be on guard. Make sure that you woke up and said, today is the kingdom, and I'm going to seek that first, and everything else will be okay. The truth is we need to start with kingdom. That's where our lives need to find their meaning and their purpose. If we spent as much time talking about God and following Him as we do with some of these other conversations, our lives would be different. You see, the empire, which is where politics lives, makes it about us. The kingdom makes it about others. You see, and we're taught and we believe this. It's all about having and holding and keeping and all these kinds of things. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the part two of this. And we're going to talk about racism and poverty and immigration and ownership. We don't own the world, people. It's just on loan for a very short amount of time. And we've got to live with that mindset. The Bible calls for it time and time again that our lives are a vapor, that the only thing that we own is our soul that we're able to give to God. And if we do that, everything else will find its place. Or one issue, politics. Politics is so much, it gets argued about one thing. Are we naive enough to think that politics is really about one thing? That there's only one problem? That we we need to to die on only one hill? There's so many things that we need to live into as kingdom people that hopefully we will learn to do that. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that, or somebody's going to talk about that next week. It may not be me, but I guess, I'm, Brad, you're up next, so uh, we're going to clean the deck here. Um, actually, who do we like less? Do we, is it Christy or Julie? Who do we want to clear the deck with next week? Uh, I'll let you think about it. There's, there's, there's several. We'll all just get up here as well. Just a sidebar, is, is, is Julie in here today? No? Is she over there? Yeah. I don't know why I remembered this while I was preparing the sermon, but we are a place of transparency and truth. Uh, about three or four years ago, we were talking about something, and Julie said she thought that George W. Bush was a really good-looking man. And so I just wanted you to know that, um, because I feel like we need to tell the truth here. Um, is it, was that correct? Are you surprised I remembered that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's what we do here. We shame people with the, with the kingdom. That's the only way to use it, let me tell you. What if, what if I gave you an assignment this week? And I know these are tough things. To try, try and see the kingdom of God. And try to believe the words that Jesus says and seek the kingdom of God. What if we woke up every day this week and before we turned on the news with our cup of coffee like a lot of us probably do, that we started with Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom. And check our hearts. And make sure that we're saying, look God, you and me first. You and me first. We're going to start there. And when we go out into our world, we're not going to try to see everything around us. We're going to try to see places where the kingdom of God is breaking forth. And we're going to chase those places. How would that change the way that we see things? Sometimes the way that we change uh, the way that we see things is through uh, being on mission. Today we're going 
I'm going to invite uh, a lovely lady named Gwen up onto the stage with me. Um, she is a part of an organization here in Amarillo called the Amarillo Angels. And uh, some of you have been a part of, of groups. Uh, come on and grab a seat. Thank you. Um, some of our leadership, Jason or David or Jennifer, have, um, have met with you guys. You saw a little table out there when you walked in today. Uh, one of the missions that our church is going to be a part of this next year is um, a thing called Emerald Angels. So welcome, Glenn. Uh, Gwen. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, about Emerald Angels and what you guys are, are trying to do, what your mission is. Um, here, it's on the back wall if you need to read there it there. Go. There it is. I there see it. it. Our mission is um, basically to walk alongside the children, youth, and families in the foster care community, our local foster care community, and provide consistent support for them. And there's a lot of reasons that that's really important for those families and those kiddos and those sweet youth. Um, and it goes back to some statistics. I don't know if you want sure, me to start please. throwing those in here now. So what we know is that children who have been subjected to abuse and neglect are um, just much more likely to face some really devastating outcomes in life. Um, we also know that um, that can not does, doesn't necessarily have to happen. Um, what we, we're specifically talking about, we have two programs, we're spe specifically talking about the Love Box program today. We also have a mentoring program. But, but families that foster, new families that foster, half of them will close their homes in the first year. Yeah which means those sweet kiddos have to be moved again. Um, and the average number of times that they move in two years is seven, which is really hard um, for anyone to move that many times yeah. in two years. So the Love Box program was designed to try to help create a, a way for those families to, um, to stay together and to stay open and to stay supporting those sweet children. Um, because the number one thing they feel like they need is support, and that's what the Love Box yeah. program does. Yeah. And the support of the families, um, this was a program that I know some of our leaders uh, had some, uh, some interaction with you about. And uh, it, we're not going to solve the foster care problem that we have, which I think most of you, um, uh, you do have some statistics, I believe, on the back of these little sheets that we'll share with you in a bit. The statistics are staggering with, um, with that. And it's a world that I know some of you have fostered children, and I know that that's both positive and can be very difficult as well. Uh, but when we as a staff heard some of these numbers, we were just, I mean, I just don't have any consciousness to realize how big a problem that ultimately is, you know, in our church, in our, uh, in our world, actually, as well. Mm, absolutely. We cover, actually, the top of the Texas Panhandle yeah. down through Lubbock. Um, not a marketing genius named Amarillo Angels, probably you know. That's okay. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, the people in Lubbock are like, why are you going to change it to Lubbock Angels? I'm like, because it's not. So anyway, anyway, if that keeps people from loving and serving families, uh, that's their choice. But anyway, um, 2,827 children in 2020 who were in the foster care community. Um, about the time school started here in Potter, Randall County, there were 575-ish um, and now it's well over, well into the 600s that are currently in the system here locally. Mm -hmm. And you do find that when people are partnering with your organization, uh, again, not that we're magically going to fix everything, but it does provide great support. What's some of the feedback you get from the families about these love boxes? We'll talk about them in a second. Tell us what some of the feedback is that they give. To our, you. our, f it's the 
the Love Box program, you take things. And when we talk about that, we talk about cons uh, intentional giving, and that's the giving of thoughtful or needed items. And so it can look like a lot of different things as you get to know your family that we connect you to, um, and you begin to love and serve them. Uh, it can look like, um, hey, we're all going out to the park, and we're taking our kids. Why don't you come and bring your kids too? And we're going to cook some burgers, and we're going to hang out. We're going to have we're going to have conversations, and we're going to love on you because the things are nice and important, and they help with a budget. But it's about the relationship. It's about adding that extra layer of support for every single person in that family, and that's what they say they need. The, you know, I may not be called to foster and adopt. You might not be called to foster and adopt, but we can all do something. We like to say. Um, not everyone's called to foster an adult. We can all do something, and we really have to refuse to do nothing. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably a big part of it. And, and as we were talking about a mission that we wanted to adopt for this next year, um, I know that there was a lot of passion for, uh, for Amarillo Angels. And I think a lot of that had to do with people uh, meeting you and getting to know you and your heart and why you love doing this. But let's talk a little bit about the Love Box, love box offering and, and how that works, and then we'll share with you some ways that you guys can be involved in that. Hey, so it's really pretty simple. It's not rocket scientist. I'm a former kindergarten teacher, and that's not rocket science, y'all. But um, basically what it is is you pull together a group of people um, that want to do this amazing uh, work in ministry, and, and um, we will come in. We will do the background checks because we want everyone to be safe. Um, these children, bless their hearts, have been in some tough situations, and we want to make sure that we don't do anything to make that any worse. So everybody gets a background check. I know people people are divided about it. It's yes. it's a landmine. I get it. Um, but it's it's a very simple process. We will train your group. We have only um, we have two and a half paid staff members on our team. The rest are volunteers, um, and they are our case managers. And so they will be there to support you, provide the training. They will also support that family. If the family has deeper needs or maybe needs access to some resources, you don't have to know all that. They are in charge of that. And all you do is you just find out how you can serve them every month, and you serve them. And it's an, it, we ask that you um, agree to do that for a period of a year. That's important because of the consistency that they need. Yeah. And pe pe people, when they hear this, uh, so uh, as it was uh, explained to us, although the leaders that explain to us, they don't know what they're talking about. I'd rather talk to you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But there, there, there's uh, basically a love box that there's families that are adopted. Um, you adopt an entire family, so we don't want to just adopt one or two children out of a family. We wait until there's a group of people. So a lot of our small groups are going to probably adopt one family. Now, if you are adopting an individual that is $15 a month for the period of a year, if you're adopting a, 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 a couple, then that's uh, $30 a month. Am I correct on those numbers? Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. And then, that's so. In, that's the recommendation. Yeah, that's the recommendation. And what happens is, um, so if you, if you are an individual, uh, you're, you're adopting uh, somebody there, it's, you know, $360. If you and your spouse say, hey, we want to, we want to, you know, put two people on there, it's $360. If you want to just do one person, it's 180 If you can't even do those amounts, then, you know, we'll, we'll try to pair it up as much as we possibly can. But if there's a group, let's just say, Tommy and Sandra, you guys are sitting here. If your group says, hey, we, we have five people that want to want to be, you know, that we want to participate with this that are committed for a year, uh, Gwen will, will pair you up with a family. That meets your budget and your yeah. needs and how you want to serve. Um, and so that's really cool. Some families don't feel like they need the things, but they just need, like, the emotional support. They need you to 
call and check on them. They, we have one group that just takes dinner once a month. I mean, that's, and they're really popular with their family. So um, it can look like a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing. We, we had a group uh, a while back that um, they have a lot of kids, and they, have a, they had a new little guy that was pretty traumatized and had some pretty um, significant behaviors that were showing up, and they had to make those Valentine boxes, you know, for the Valentine party. And that little sweet love box group came over and sat one-on-one -on -one with those uh, kiddos and brought pizza. And they got those love those Valentine boxes made. And that was what they did that month to, to love and encourage the family. And uh, the parents were incredibly grateful. So it can look like a lot. It's up to you how you serve. Um, but it is just that you are serving and loving on them. Now, I know whenever we do mission stuff, there's always some people that are terrified because they say, I don't know that I could ever do that or go into somebody else's home or do whatever else. And the nice thing about this mission is it, it doesn't really matter. Some people are, some of you are really good at writing checks and, and get supporting that. Some of you are like, hey, I want to be in these people's lives for the next year. And so there's a variety of ways that people can be involved. There are some designated roles within the group that they've chosen. So not, you're not going to be asked to do something that you, is way outside of your, uh, outside of your comfort zone. Um, but there's a way for everybody to be involved, even even if your kids, uh, even if your um, uh, your group decides to write encouragement notes to everybody, you might not want. You might be an introvert and not want to be, you know, in a room with a stranger. But you might really be able to write a great note and something that's super encouraging for them. So there's really a multiple uh, multiple ways that people can be involved in this. And that's the only thing that we ask that you do every single month, besides just check in and do something, is we ask that every single person in that um, that family get a handwritten note of encouragement. And those quickly become their very favorite things. They dig in there really fast to find those. Um, we have stories of kids putting them on their mirrors and getting up and reading them daily and telling their parents, you know, man, when it's hard, I go read that note and it makes me feel better. And I just love that. No, I would love it if people wrote me an encouragement note every single month, but um, it doesn't doesn't. What was that last thing he said to do? Yeah. Like, go out in the world and find somebody who needs yeah, something? Yeah. So there you go. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we have a great staff. Um, in just a few moments here, Gwen is going to be out there. Um, a couple things that I just want to share with you, and this is, this is my heart. I know sometimes when we talk about needs or something like this, we, um, we, we always have an initial response of our heartstrings. And those of us, we say, hey, we want to be a part of this, and we want to engage it. This is a one-year commitment, and so we don't want you to enter into this because you feel guilty. Uh, we want you to partner with our church as we partner with Emerald Angels, with Gwen as well, and with her families, and be a part of this and say, hey, we're going to do this and step into this for a year. I always tell people when it comes to missions, we don't really like the guilt checks because people just write the guilt check and, oh, I feel terrible, and it's like we play Sarah McLaughlin and the animals in cages, and then people feel terrible about it, and then, yeah, and then a month later... <laughs> You're a good singer. Um, and then a month later, you know, people don't, don't really believe in that. Uh, this is valuable. This is something that affects our community. This is going to create change for, for a lot of these people. And so I know that Gwen will be uh, out there um, after the service. If you want to visit with her, she has some brochures. You can pick up some um, little fill-out papers that I think we have somewhere. I'll have to ask Debbie. Um, and you can bring those back in the coming weeks, and we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more. But... Uh, Gwen, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. We're really so excited about it. this partnership and looking forward to uh, connecting you to these amazing families. We yep. know, you guys know, you start, out, you start out to bless and you end up getting blessed yeah. yourself. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys will be blessed as well as, as you walk alongside these families. So sure. thank you. I'll be, out, I'll be yeah. outside. Thank you. Let's give uh, Gwen a hand here. Thank you. And Father, today as we uh, come to a close of our, our time of listening to you, 
God, we just pray that, um, that you would impress in our hearts uh, your desires for us. That, um, that, Father, it's so easy for us to just come to church, just be here for a minute, and then walk away and our lives be unchanged. But may you have spoken to us today. May, through the imperfect words that I have spoken, uh, just, just seep into our hearts. May, may you infuse it with your presence and your spirit. And, and allow it to become real for us. God, we, we get so easily sidetracked. And we get so easily sidetracked with the wrong things because the enemy is strong and the enemy is good at doing that. But God, today we pray for kingdom hearts. We pray for kingdom lives. And we pray that as we step into mission, as we think about others more than maybe we do ourselves, God, that you would just meet us there and help us to do something that is powerful and meaningful and wonderful. As we continue to praise, as we continue to worship today, we pray that you would be in our midst, that you would send us out different than when we came in. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice. God, we thank you that you adopted us as children, that we were in the foster care system of the world and it kept moving us and spitting us out. But God, thank you that you adopted us. Thank you that we are called your children not your servants. And we pray that that would be the heart that we live into today. Thank you for our time. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And the church together says, Amen. Let's stand together.